Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. We're going to Psalm 51 and verse 10 and 11. Something you may have on a plaque on your wall or you've heard many, many, many times. You have memorized. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. This was the cry of David's heart after he had sinned. It is, that chapter is a perfect example of true repentance. You ever want to make sure you're truly repenting? Get on your face and read this chapter out loud. It is true repentance. Culminating with this familiar portion. Just create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Don't cast me away. I know I deserve it. But don't take the spirit away from me. I need you. That's what he was saying. And then turning to the book of Titus. One of those little books that you're sure they took out of your Bible when you try to find it. Way, way back in the New Testament. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's a word in there that's not used very often in scripture or in life. Regeneration. By the washing of regeneration. In the Greek, it means rebirth. Regeneration means rebirth. Don't we preach and teach you must be born again of water and of spirit? That's the process of regeneration. We're going to have a good time today. I believe in having fun at church. And today for your hearing, I'm just simply bringing a little lesson to you that God gave me. Lessons from the crab. You can be seated. Lessons from the crab. There was a man that was so excited he went to, to Florida and he knew that they had great seafood in Florida and so he found a restaurant that people recommended and he went to that restaurant and walked in the door and, and um, he asked the hostess when she came to ask how many and seat, seat him and so on. He said, do you serve crabs here? And she said, oh, sir, we'll serve anybody. Just sit wherever you like. Now you're awake. <laughs> I'm really wide awake. Thank you for the great coffee. I, I, I told my friend, my coffee buddy, that if uh, you think it's anointing today, you might, you might be mistaken. It might be caffeine. Because <laughs> that was really powerful. <laughs> Lessons from the crab. You know, I want to tell the children here today that if you want to have crabs for a pet... You can get a tank and put it in your room. You could put it right by your bed. And you could fill it full of crabs. 
and set it all up with a little lamp and a little rock for them to climb on and, and, and all of that. And, and the pet store can help you do that. And, and you can assure your mom. You can say, now, mom, there's no problem with having these in my room and I don't need a lid on the tank. She's going to want you to put a lid on there. And you can assure your mom. Sister Oliver said, you don't need a lid on there. And you can lay on your bed and watch them. Watch them try to crawl up the side. Watch them lay on the rock and sun themselves. And you'll be surprised what will happen. Those crabs will crawl on top of one another to reach the top. They want out. They see a way out. But you can watch over and over again. It's a proven fact. What will happen is they will crawl and get on top of each other till they get all the way to the top. And perhaps they get some kind of hold on that plastic side that goes around the tank. And they'll, one old crab will teeter right on top. He'll be swinging back and forth. Every one of my pictures looks dopey, so here you go. He'll teeter back and forth. Sorry. Tension deficit disorder. Sorry. It'll teeter back and forth on top. And you'll go, oh, Sister Oliver told me something that wasn't true. It's going to plop over on my bed and pinch me. And just as soon as that old crab is just ready to make his escape and go over the top, another one, every single time, will reach up and jerk him down. They will not let one another go higher. In the family, in the family of God, in human nature, living in this old flesh, very often we are prone to tear one another down. The most valuable tool in the church and within the family unit is unity. When a church does not have unity, it never grows. When a family does not have unity, children backslide. That's not always the reason, but it will cause it. We cannot live a life where we tear one another down with words, where we're always trying to get ahead, where somebody has to be the boss and in charge and, and, and where people don't grow up. You know, when you are a child and you have trauma in your life, I heard a psychologists speak on this the age you were when the trauma came is the age that you stay emotionally if you don't take what happened to you to God and lift your hands and say, Lord, I forgive my stepdad for what he did or I forgive my mother, I forgive the next door neighbor or whatever, I forgive, release me from this. What happens is the door to your heart swings open and those spirits can occupy you where you will do to others what was done to you. You become what you don't forgive. And so you have someone that is 55 years old that at the point of their trauma when daddy left and mama was abusive and life went awry at, at 10 years old, that grown man that is in his 50s now is still 10 emotionally. Messes up the family because the kids need a strong adult father leading the family. The wife needs an adult Husband, 
And I'm not picking on the men. It's the same way with the woman. They don't need a child throwing temper fits and screaming and yelling. You know, families are all dysfunctional. We don't want each other to know ours is. But it started back with the first one, Adam and Eve. The first couple, they had two kids. Cain and Abel, one killed the other. So when you think your family's so bad, just go back and look at that. At least your kids hadn't killed each other yet. Families have always been dysfunctional. But we have to work at it. And we should be able to look at this Saturday morning and say, you know what, we're better than we were a year ago. If it's not better, then we have to work at it. The marriage is better. The family unit's better. We're doing better than we were a year ago. The church is better than it was a year ago. Because there's going to always be something the enemy's going to set up to pull you back down. He doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want you to grow in God. Life lessons from the crab. I was on a fishing boat one time. I was about 13, 14 years old. And my brother-in-law, we were visiting in Key West, Florida. And my brother-in-law was starting a church, the very first church on Key West, Florida. It's still there today. He was a home missions pastor there. And so we were visiting, mom and dad and I. I was still living at home. Well, of course, at 13, 14 years old. And, and, and he said, would you like to go out on the boat tomorrow? Oh, well, yeah. You, I mean, that, that's what I want to be is on the water. So I didn't realize that, you know, we weren't going out on a pleasure deal. This was a smaller boat. We went before the sun came up, down that dark canal, gassed up that boat, and that canal opened up into open waters into the gulf. You have not lived until you've been in a speedboat on the gulf where your body absolutely doesn't touch anything but the bottom of the boat. Whoop, whoop, whoop. It'll change you forever. We got out in the middle of that open gulf and he said, now, I want you to look out in the ocean and you see these balls that are floating. They're called buoys. Mine are painted yellow on top and black on the bottom. And on that yellow part, you will find a number, 362. When you see that number, you tell me. Oh, that was fun. It's like a game. And I'm looking. There it is. I see it. There it is over there that way. And, and so then he motored over there. And I watched him take a big, long hook called a gaff. And he hooked around that rope and he pulled that rope up onto the boat and wrapped it around a pulley and pushed a button and that rope began to wind. That motor wound that rope around the pulley and I am just watching. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but all of a sudden a big box broke the surface of the water. It was a crate. You could see inside between the slats. And what I saw were crabs. All of their pinchers going. I watched fearfully as he reached down with big leather gloves above his elbows and lifted that crate out of the water and set it in the middle of our little boat. I ran for the bow of the boat, pulled my feet up under me. I'm watching as he opens that and I'm wondering where my leather gloves are. I watch as he pulls out one crab after another, and he breaks off the claw 
and throws it in a bucket of salt water and throws the body back. Over and over all day long, I watched him do this. Some of those traps had nothing in them. Some of them were loaded with crabs. He had baited those and dropped them weeks before and then came back. Finally, I could not contain my curiosity anymore. And I said, I don't understand what you're doing. And how long are we going to do this? <laughs> he said, we're going in about six o'clock. And what I'm doing is I'm crab trapping for a living. I'm trying to build a church. This is the way I make money. He said, I break off those claws and throw them in that bucket. And when we go back, I'll show you. I'll take them to the dock and there's someone there that buys them. So much per pound. I will make money today. This is a good haul. I said, wow, I, di I didn't know that. I said, but you know, it's just really a shame that you're littering the ocean like that. You're throwing those bodies back into the ocean. Why don't you just bring a trash bag and throw them away nicely? And he laughed out loud at me. He said, you don't understand. Because what happens is I break off those claws and then I throw it back. And they are made to regenerate. What happens is a little stub pops out. A year, two years, I'll catch him again. For the life of the crab, he will continue to grow new claws. If you break off one, it will grow back bigger. He said, you notice how most of these crabs we pulled out today, one claw is bigger than the other? Made to rebirth, to regenerate. In my thinking as an adult, looking back on that, the Lord began to speak to me that often we come to an old-fashioned altar and we know what repentance is. We talked about it last night. We know we must confess and we do that. And we say, I'm sorry, Jesus, only to find our flesh winning again and going right back, the Bible says, like a dog returning to its vomit. A willful sin, knowing we've already said, Jesus, I'm sorry, but yet turning around and doing it again I've often asked the Lord why is that I know we're living in the flesh we're fighting flesh but that's what we're here to conquer is this flesh and the Lord brought back this story to me and he said the problem is it will keep regrowing in your life until you come to an altar and you kill the crab once it's dead, once you're dead to sin and it's not about you anymore and flesh doesn't reign, then it can't grow again. We're supposed to be living above sin. We don't believe in once saved, always saved. Do you understand? We give our children that impression when they watch a mom or a dad that acts one way at church and another at home. We need to be big enough to apologize. I'm sorry that I acted that way. I'm sorry. That, don't make excuses. I'm sorry that I lost my temper. I'm sorry that I screamed at you. I, I shouldn't have. Big enough to confess to one another our faults. 
Because that will give you a healthy home. Children that understand everybody messes up. Everybody makes mistakes. But how important it is to give one another grace. To forgive one another. Someone asked me about my own life just yesterday. The things that they know about me that you don't know. The things that have happened to me. The betrayals. The things that have happened in my life. And they said, the most beautiful thing, Trolliver, is it didn't make you bitter. You still have joy. You're still doing what you've always done. You've never changed. All those things have come and they were horrible, but it never changed you. And I said, you know what? The key is it's not me. There's nothing special about me. But what I learned was if I would take that thing, whatever it is, to the cross and kill it, kill that offense. Lift your hands and say, Lord, I forgive. And I don't lay it to their charge. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And release yourself from it. A conscience clean, void of offense. There should not be a family reunion you can't go to. There shouldn't be anybody walking that back door that you'd take off another door. If you got stuff like that, it's time to kill it. Get it in the altar and forgive and release and let go. Live free of offense. Live free of that kind of thing. Make up your mind. I'm going to walk with God and be a Christian even when nobody else is. Kill it. Kill sin. Kill addictions. Everybody wants counselor. I'm all for counseling. I've had counseling myself. I'm all for it. But everybody wants somebody to pull them out. Nobody wants to just do the work. And the work is getting in an altar, making extra trips to the church during the week, getting up early in the morning, staying up late at night, getting in the prayer closet and killing it. In the name of Jesus, I bind the voice of accusation in my life. I'm not going to let the devil set up a stronghold in my mind. I'm going to kill this thing. I'm not going to believe what the enemy says about me. I'm not going to believe what people have said about me. I'm releasing myself from their words. There's Power in the spoken word. Speak it out loud. A stronghold is the fruit of a lie that the enemy tells you. Stronghold, I'll say it again, is the fruit of a lie the enemy tells you. We're here to pull down strongholds. You're not what he says you are. One of the biggest things we all deal with is that voice of accusation. If you can learn to recognize it, when it comes, look what you did. You're no good. Why do you even try to pray with people? Can't even make it through the week and read your Bible every day. You don't pray enough. Look how you acted when somebody pulled out in front of you. Look what people think of you at work. Well, you never were very important. Well, look how many people on Facebook have educations. You didn't get a degree. Well, look at you. You don't work out. Everybody else is working out and running five miles a day. And look at you, fatty. Oh, you hear those voices? Mm -hmm. Accusation. On and on and on. What is it, the thought in your mind that you can't get loose from? That's what a stronghold is. A thought that you cannot get free of. 
It may be something way back. Oftentimes it's sin. It's something you did that you wish you hadn't done and you can't get away from it. You know in your mind it's under the blood. You know that Jesus has forgiven you and you know that Calvary was enough. You know in your mind that the Lord doesn't even know what you're talking about when you keep talking about it to him. But yet a stronghold will cause you to keep going back there anyway. And live under shame. Shame is a grudge you hold against others, yourself, and God. All three parts of shame have to be dealt with in the altar. Has to be killed. I forgive him for what he did to me, speaking what it was. And I release him. I forgive myself because I've made poor choices. Or I forgive myself because I sinned. I forgive you, God. Because where in the world were you? Why'd you let that happen to me? Some of you won't have a conversation like that with God, but yet there's still something there that's got to die. Get in the altar and kill it. Kill it once and for all. The whole world is self-medicating. They're self-medicating. And you and I, we, we don't drink alcohol to self-medicate. And we don't do drugs to self-medicate. So we eat food. Or we have a hidden pornography addiction. Because you can keep that private. Nobody knows. It's the sin of the church. I've seen great people fall in the last three or four years. Great men of God expressly. Pastors of churches. Because God's taking the cover off this sin. He's revealing it. And what we're going to see in the next few years before Jesus comes is some more fall. And then we're going to see some rise back up and be restored. And then they're going to be able to minister to all the people sitting on the pew that have wrestled with it. That that are ashamed, that want to be delivered. And we don't have any program for them. We don't have any way to help them. Because we're still going, ooh, I'm uncomfortable when Sister Oliver mentions that. We need to be teaching our children what's appropriate and what's not before it occurs. I was in the car with a pastor and his wife and their little three-year-old son was strapped in the car seat in the back beside me. We're driving in St. Louis. There are many inappropriate billboards. And here came one with a woman scantily clad. And the little three-year-old said, Daddy, Daddy, cover her eyes quick. Give her her privacy. Give her her privacy, Dad. She, she doesn't have all her clothes on. Give her her privacy. I couldn't believe my ears. And Daddy said, I'm looking away, son. You're absolutely right. When someone doesn't have all their clothes on, we turn our heads and we give them privacy. I thought, Wow. Wow, I'm going to repeat that story every time the Lord prompts me because we're living in a day where nothing is sacred and we're not teaching our children what the difference is between love and lust and what sin is and what has to die. And we're going to raise up another generation with the access to the internet that they don't even have that moral compass. You know, that the culture has taught us anything goes and it's all okay. And it's not... And when that sin's finished, it brings forth death. Death of a marriage. 
death of a family, of a reputation, death of brain cells, distorts the mind. It is not okay. Addictions have to die. They'll keep growing new claws. When the house is swept out, when you repent, it's a, it's a big deal when you repent of something. Because when the house is clean, all of a sudden, seven more will come back in when you access it again. Scripture. What did I tell you? It'll grow a new claw. And what will it be? Bigger. Stronger in your life. So it has to be addressed Kill the crab. Get in the altar and kill the crab. Lessons from the crab. The old crab is lying on the beach. They call the families the colonies of crabs. They go together as a family. Mom and dad and the little ones on the beach. No human contact. No one's there that day. The sun is shining. They're sunning themselves. Life doesn't get any better. You know, life never stays the same. We get used to something. Maybe 10 years. Maybe 15. And all of a sudden, one phone call. One doctor visit. Everything changes. Everything was going great. You had life by the tail. And all the Lord is seeing is, I've got to get him to heaven. I've got to get her to heaven. And in the state he's in, he's not ready. Because we're not going to reign with him if we don't suffer with him. It's not just a principle that he said, okay, I'm going to make it like this. You suffer, I'll take you to heaven. You've got to pay for your trip. No. It's to get us ready. To mold us and shape us into what we must be. So we don't despise our sufferings. The things we go through in life, we hold our head up and understand, he's getting me ready for eternity. Whatever it takes to get me there, Lord, I want to go. Whatever it takes to get my children there, I want them in heaven. So we shouldn't freak out when trouble comes. When our children have trials. When we take our hands off their lives and say, whatever it takes, you have to be ready. That crab is lying on the beach and life is good. But there's always an enemy. All of us have a target on our back. Because the enemy wants us. He does not want us to make heaven. And he is not in the beer joint and the crack houses. He wants to be where people of the name are. We are tempted far more than the world. He's got them. Why would he have to work on them? The devil was kicked out of heaven with a third of the angels. They're not sitting around frying hamburgers waiting on hell. They're busy. They're assigned to us. This is reality. And if we're even the most tiny bit aware of that, it will help you in life to understand this is a spiritual attack. This is the enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That coworker that's acting like a jerk, that's the devil operating through them. 
That boss that is treating me wrong, that's, that's the enemy operating through them. I don't believe we see the devil around every corner, but I believe we have to believe Scripture, and we have to know what Scripture says, and it says we don't wrestle flesh and blood in your own home. The relationships in your home, you're often fighting spirits. You're not fighting one another. But yet we don't verbally bind them. I bind confusion and distraction in my home and I lose peace. I bind the spirit of fear in my home and I lose faith. I bind doubt and unbelief in my children and I lose truth. Binding and loosing in the home, there's power, there's life in the tongue. You start doing that in your home, you watch what God will do. You find out what spirit has your baby bound and you begin to bind it in the name of Jesus and it will have to let them go. I'm helping you today as a family, husbands and wives, pray for one another. Bind the spirit of accusation and, and loose truth into, into your family. Go from room to room and bind spirits in your home as the spirit directs you. I was binding and loosing in my home when my daughter was very young. She was just 10. The kids were all in school. I was praying in my home that morning and the Lord spoke to me. He said, there is pornography in your home. There's, there's a spirit of pornography. I was on my face. I was hearing the voice of God and I, I just panicked and, and we had just moved into this rental home and it was in a a college campus area. I had to clean it up. There were seven young men that lived in that home before we moved in. And I, I, was, I was removing the spirit world from that home. It's a real thing. If you've not done that in your home, you need to do it. I was on my face and I said, oh God, I bind the spirits of perversion, pornography in the name of Jesus. You, you cannot reside here. You cannot be in my home. And the Lord said, go to Sarah's room. My heart just seized within my chest. I thought, oh no, she's 10. This was way back. This isn't modern day with an iPad. This is way back. I laid in the floor by her closet and I was rebuking that spirit and, and I was weeping and I was interceding and, and, and I, I got up. I thought I physically have to do something. I started going through her little purses and her backpacks and looking in the drawers and I'm just beside myself and I'm binding that spirit. And all of a sudden the Lord said, look up. I'm on my knees in front of her closet. It was a big old sliding door with a wooden track around it. And when I looked up, I saw pieces of paper sticking out between that molding and the wall. I slid that door back and forth and with every slide, they were coming down a little more, a little more. Finally, one of them fell on the floor. I picked it up and opened it, and it was the most perverse pornography torn out of a magazine. There were several more pieces. The Lord said, I didn't want your little girl to find those. I revealed that spirit before she would view it. That little girl has walked with God all of her life. She's 38 years old. She's in the church in Madison, married, has three children. The young man that she married from Brother Grant's church was 27. She was 23. They'd never kissed anybody else. That's how you want to do it. Never given their heart away to anybody else. Pure, both of them pure. You know what that does to the heart of a mom? 
Hallelujah. But I don't believe that would have happened. If I hadn't stayed busy binding, fighting for them, speaking into the spirit world, walking in the spirit, commanding the devil to loose them and let them go, commanding the enemy of their soul to leave them alone in the name of Jesus, shutting out the voice of accusation. No, they're not going to fail God. They're not going to be lost. They're going to be saved with my very last breath. I'm going to let the enemy know my grandchildren are going to be saved. If you don't fight for them, who will? And daddies and grandpas, it's not just mama's deal to do the fighting. I see too many women in the family that are the leader of the family. Don't you get mad at me. It's the truth. We need strong men in the church who will pray, who will walk in the spirit, who will lead their homes. The family has been degraded in the world and it's crept into the church. You got to be the strong one. The woman is the weaker vessel. She needs you. She needs you to be plugged in. She needs you to guard your eyes, to guard your heart. Your wife knows when you're not guarding your heart. Don't you think you're keeping it from her because you're not? She can see it. She keeps her mouth closed because there's nothing else she can do but pray for you. Get in the altar and kill the crab. Kill the flesh. That's what we're here to do is kill the flesh. Will you come and play softly on the keyboard for me, please? Oh, daddy. The crab is lying on the beach sunning himself. Colony all around him. Life doesn't get any better. Sun shining, the sand is warm. But the enemy comes. There's a big old seagull. A predator. He's been flying low over the ocean looking for fish. Looking for something to eat. He's not found anything. And then he sees the crabs lying on the beach. He's going to go after the dad. He can get the dad. He pulled the whole family down. And that gall takes a couple of swoops circling overhead. And dad is enjoying life, doesn't even notice. Too busy working. Don't have time to pray. Don't have time to read my Bible. Too busy working. I can't, I can't go to every service, every prayer meeting. He doesn't even realize that the predator is overhead. All of a sudden, that gall sweeps down with one sweep. He grabs that crab by the claw always by the claw it's the heaviest part he's carrying him off through the sky the family looks around and realizes dad's dad's gone he's checked out 
what are we going to do now? They watch as the enemy carries him away. Simon, the enemy of your soul hath desired to have you. He wants to sift you as wheat. Crab realizes. I wish I'd been paying attention. Because that old gall is going to take him up on a high rock. With his strong beak, he's going to sift him as wheat. He's going to open that body and devour him. It's going to kill him. Can you imagine what he's thinking? This is it. It's over. You ever been through anything you just thought, this is it. I'll not be able to endure this one. Oh, I have. This one's too big, God. But as he's flying through the air, he remembers that word. Regeneration. Rebirth. He comes to himself and realizes, as long as there's breath in my body, there's something I can do about this. Flying through the air, he remembers that with one shift of his shoulder, he can release his own claw. And the gall got the surprise of his life when his weight load decreased immediately and all he had to eat was one measly claw. And the body of that old crab fell softly back into the sand because the one who loves you the most will always give you a soft place to land. And in the videos of Crab's behaviors, when he falls back down into that sand, the family gathers around and they start feeding him. They crack open little mollusks and little shells and get little portions of meat out and they actually feed him because he's broken, because he's wounded. Quit killing one another when you hear something about your brother or sister don't surmise don't repeat don't question give one another the benefit of the doubt you don't know what anybody's going through and there he is in his broken state but a little pink stub pops out because he's made to regenerate God made him that way He made us that way. What you thought meant the end is a new beginning. It's just a new beginning. What if it's death, Sister Oliver? What if it's cancer? What if it's terminal? It's a new beginning. Because whichever way it goes, you win. You can't threaten us with heaven. It's a new beginning. It's a rebirth. Either way, the enemy does not get you. (laughs) The times that I've said, 
Devil, you may have got a piece of me, but you didn't get all of me. And I'm made to regenerate. And that little stub turns into a claw. And it grows pretty quickly. And it's bigger and stronger than it was before. What you won in that battle you fought, the spoils of war, enjoy them. You learn to walk in the spirits. You learn to pray. You learned victory. You learn what real joy looks like when you got on the other side of it. Don't shut all that away in a closet. Use it to help somebody else. Look how I came out of this thing. Look what Jesus does. Bigger and stronger than I was before. The enemy thought it was going to kill me and destroy me, but I regenerated. <laughs> Would you stand to your feet today? Would you throw your hands in the air? Would you walk to this altar and find a place to pray for a few minutes? Would you pray in the Holy Ghost? Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.